I am thankful, friends, that each of you has joined us for this time of worship today. And we're at the point in our service when we will study the Word of God together. And so today, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 2. You know, one of the more embarrassing things I think that can happen to you is when you forget the birthday of a really close friend. Uh, You know, you just feel like an awful friend. Uh, It's even worse when you maybe spend time with that friend during that day of their birthday and you've just totally forgotten. You're just totally oblivious to it. And and at some point in the day, maybe towards the end of the day, they say, you know, by the way, today was my birthday. And you're just like, oh, man, I feel so bad about that. You just again, you feel uh, just awful. And uh, I don't want that to happen uh, to me again, or at least not this week. And actually, uh, this week is the birthday of of one of my uh, best friends in all the world, someone I've known since uh, we were uh, just uh, kids. And and, and it's actually our kids pastor, Jason Mole. His birthday is this Friday, May 8th. And so just want to give a little preemptive birthday shout out to Pastor Jason. And, and listen, I don't want our kids to be, um, you know, frightened when, when you're able to come back here soon and, uh, and we're able to have church again here. Because I'm going to tell you, this, this quarantine, this last month has been tough on Pastor Jason. It, it has aged him considerably. And so I just want our kids to see a picture of Pastor Jason. This is a current picture of of what Pastor Jason uh, looks like. I mean, you can tell this has been a rough month for him. He he has aged a lot. And so, uh, again, just wanted you to be able to kind of see that beforehand. But uh, but happy 88th birthday to you, Pastor Jason. And uh, and so, again, there's just some birthdays that, you know, we just don't want to forget. Don't want to forget the birthdays of our close friends, but it's even more important if you're married that you don't forget the birthday of, of your spouse. Uh, if you have kids, certainly don't want to forget the birthday of your, of your children. That There's some uh, birthdays that we don't want to forget. And actually, the story that we're going to read about in the Bible today is the story of another birthday that we don't want to forget. It's the story of the birthday of the church. And uh, this story takes place in Acts chapter 2, and uh, it takes place after Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, after he has ascended back to heaven to the Father. But he promised his disciples before he ascended to the Father uh, that in just a few days they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That gift came 10 days later, 10 days after Jesus ascended. And when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, it really was the birthday of the church. And and so the truth is, when we read this story of the church, if you're a part of the church, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then this is really your birthday story as well. And let's read it together. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The word of God says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it 
that we hear, each in our own language in which we were born. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Verse 12, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they are full of new wine. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the gift of your word, for this beautiful story of the gift of your Holy Spirit. Father, would you show us what this, this gift means today, what it means to our lives. Father, would you transform our lives even now as we study your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at the birthday story of the church today, there are really just two simple questions that I want us to think about and to answer. And the two questions are, number one, what happened then? And number two, what does this mean for us now? So pretty simple. What happened then? And what does this mean for us now? Let's start with that first question. What happened then? And really there were several things that happened then on that day that we call the day of Pentecost. Uh, some of which we're going to talk about uh, next time when we look at the rest of chapter 2. Uh, but the most important thing that happened on that day uh, was that a person came. The promised Holy Spirit came. And by the way, it is important that we remember that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Spirit is not an it. Uh, the Spirit is not an impersonal force. Uh, I know that tomorrow is May 4th and uh, Star Wars fans, just like uh, in my family, we're a bunch of Star Wars fans too. Uh, we'll celebrate that, that and uh, say, may the 4th be with you and all of that. Uh, but we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is not like the imaginary force that is in the Star Wars movies. No, the Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the triune God that we worship, Father, Son, and Spirit. And Jesus promised us that after he ascended to the Father, he would send the gift of the person of the Spirit to his church. In fact, this is what Jesus said back in John chapter 7. Look at these words with me. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What an invitation from Jesus. Then he said, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But listen to this. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, when Jesus says there that the Holy Spirit had not yet been given, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit uh, wasn't working in the world prior to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we know the Spirit has been working in the world uh, ever since the very beginning. In fact, in the second verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-2, uh, it speaks about how the Spirit was present uh, at creation, hovering over the face of the waters. Throughout the Old Testament, we read about how the Spirit of God would come on individuals and empower them. Think 
Think about the judges, uh, men like Samson and Gideon, how the Spirit empowered them for great works of service. Uh, Think about the disciples. The disciples had already experienced the the Spirit's power uh, as Jesus sent them out on mission. And yet what Jesus was promising here is that after he was glorified, after he ascended to the Father, that the Spirit was going to come in an entirely new way. Uh, That the Spirit was going to indwell every believer, that the Spirit wouldn't just be with them or come upon them for a season of time, but that the Spirit would permanently indwell and live within every believer. What an incredible promise. And right here in Acts 2 is when we read about the fulfillment of that promise and the Holy Spirit come. This is when the church is born. And, and, you know, it's really hard to overemphasize how momentous an occasion this was in Acts chapter 2. And you, you think about some of the big events, the epic changing events that, that we read about in God's Word. Events like creation itself, uh, the coming and the birth of Jesus, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the return of Christ one day. What we're reading about here in Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Spirit and the birthday of the church is right up there as one of those momentous, epic changing events because now, and we'll talk about this more later, but now whenever a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they are immediately filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 tells us that the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. Now that is not an accident. Uh, There were three great festivals that the Jewish people celebrated. Uh, The first was Passover. Uh, You might remember that is the day that Jesus died. Jesus was our great Passover lamb who died for us, who was a sacrifice for us to take away our sins. The second great festival or feast was the Feast of Pentecost. The word Pentecost means 50th. And Pentecost came 50 days after the Feast of Passover. And so again, Jesus was on the earth for 40 days after his resurrection. And then he ascended to the Father. And then there were 10 more days after that until the 50th day, this day of Pentecost, when Jesus sent his Spirit. Uh, You know, when the Jewish people would celebrate the Feast of of Pentecost. It was really a harvest feast. It was also known as the Feast of First Fruits uh, because it was the beginning of the wheat harvest. And so people would bring the first fruits of their wheat harvest to offer to the Lord. And so how fitting is it that it's on this day of the first fruits that the Lord sends us his spirit? Because, you know, it says in Ephesians 1 that the Spirit Himself is the first fruits, the guarantee, the down payment of our inheritance that we have in Christ. Also on this day of Pentecost, as we'll see in a few weeks, 3,000 people get saved. 3,000 people put their faith in the Lord Jesus and those 3,000 who were added to the church were the first fruits of the millions and millions of others who over the 2,000 years and counting history of the church would also put their faith in the Lord Jesus. Again, it's no accident that God picked the day of Pentecost to send us his Holy Spirit. As we read there in verses 1 through 4, the coming of the Spirit was accompanied by three clear signs. First of all, we need to notice what they heard. Verse 1 
says that when the day of Pentecost came, they were uh, gathered together in the upper room, most likely the same upper room that they had had the Lord's Supper with uh, Jesus and the same upper room where they had been praying for the better part of the last 10 days as they waited on the Lord. They knew the Spirit was going to come in just a few days, but they didn't know exactly when. And so you hear the element of surprise in verse 2 when we read this. It says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. The first thing that they noticed was the sound of wind. Now, it wasn't actually wind. Luke uh, describes the sound that they heard as being like a rushing mighty wind. But I love that because in both Hebrew and in Greek, uh, the word for wind and the word for the spirit are the same word. And so throughout the Bible, there is this connection between spirit and wind. One of the Bible passages that comes to mind is John chapter 3, when Jesus was meeting with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And he was telling Nicodemus about how he needed to be born again by the Spirit in order to see the kingdom of God. And he told Nicodemus how the Spirit is like the wind. The wind comes, we don't know where it comes from, we don't know where it's going. And Jesus said it's the same way with the Spirit of God. And so how fitting is it that this sign of a a sound of a rushing mighty wind accompanies the gift of the Spirit. Notice it wasn't a gentle breeze, the sound that they heard. It was more like a hurricane. We're used to that here in Florida. It was the sound of a rushing mighty wind. God wanted them to know that what was happening was not a little deal, but that it was a big deal. And not only did they hear something, they also saw something. Let's notice what they saw. Verse 3 tells us about that sign. It says, Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Now there's a few things to notice about that phrase, tongues of fire. Uh, First off, just like with the wind, uh, Luke doesn't say that this was a real fire, but he says that it was as fire. In other words, a tongue of fire was the best description that Luke could give us of what they actually saw. But in the Bible, fire is associated with the presence of God. Think about Moses in Exodus 3 and the burning bush, this bush that was was on fire and yet did not burn up. And that fire was a symbol of the presence of God that Moses was on holy ground. Think about the Uh, lampstand that stood in the temple that burned night and day. It was a picture of the presence of God. And so here we find God's fire coming, his Holy Spirit coming. And notice it says that this fire rested on each of them. In the past, the presence of God was, uh, was uh, manifested in one particular place at the temple. But now we're reading that the Spirit of God, the presence of God would indwell every believer. It's like Paul would tell us later that because the Spirit lives within us, that we are all temples of the Holy Spirit. The fact that the fire was in the shape of a tongue, I I think speaks to the last sign, uh, which was what God was about to enable them to do. Because it's not only what they heard and it's not only what they saw, but also let's notice what they said. Look with me, if you would, at verse 4 in our passage. It says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues 
as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so on this momentous occasion, the Lord chooses to give another sign. The verse says that they spoke with other tongues. The word tongues there can also be translated languages. And so no matter what you believe is going on later in uh, the letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14, it's very clear what's going on here in Acts chapter 2. These 120 disciples who had just received the Holy Spirit and were speaking in these languages were not speaking in some unknown tongue or some heavenly language, but rather they were speaking in known languages that they had never studied before. And you can tell that because of what the crowd says in verses 7 and 8. Listen to their words. It says, Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we each hear in our own language in which we were born? So the people who had come from all over the world, who spoke various languages, are hearing uh, these disciples speak. And they know not only are the ones who are speaking from Israel, they're, they're from a particular region in Israel, the region of Galilee. They were Galileans. And Galileans, we understand from history, were, were not really held in high esteem. They, they weren't really seen as being the sharpest knives in the drawer. In fact, most people looked upon Galileans as if they were, uh, you know, kind of backwoods country bumpkins. And so, you know, one person compared this to, if you ever watched the show Duck Dynasty and you're familiar with Uncle Cy, uh, to think about Uncle Cy being at the United Nations and he opens his mouth and begins to speak and And suddenly he's speaking in perfect Mandarin. Uh, You would be shocked by that. Your mouth would be hanging open. Well, Well, so were theirs here as they watched these Galileans speaking in languages that they had never studied before and had never known. It was a miraculous sign to the crowd of this major event that had just taken place. And, And that leads me to the other thing that happened on this day. Again, the main thing was that the Spirit had come But another thing that happened was that because the Spirit came, people from every nation heard the wonderful works of God. Again, in God's sovereign plan, the Holy Spirit came on this day of this national feast called Pentecost, where devout uh, Jewish people from all over the world gathered in the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. Verses 9 through 11 lists some 15 different nations uh, that people had traveled from to be there in Jerusalem for this great feast. We won't go through all of those places one by one, but, but there's a map that gives you an idea of all of the different places that they had uh, come from. Uh, first, Luke draws our attention to the east, to those who came from the region of the former Babylonian Empire where some Jews were still living. Then he turns our attention to the north, to what is modern day Turkey, where Paul would take many of his missionary journeys. And then he turns our attention to the south, to Egypt and Cyrene. And then finally, he takes us west to the island of Crete and even to the city of Rome, which is where the book of Acts comes to its ending. 
And the bottom line, though, is as you look at this map, people came from all over the known world, all over the Roman world. They were here on this day of Pentecost to celebrate this feast. Now, these were mostly Jewish people who had traveled for this feast and then some Gentiles who had converted to Judaism. But they represent all of the different nations that they had traveled from. And so how beautiful is it that even here on the birthday of the church, that the gospel is going out to the whole world. It's a picture of what we read back in chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus said, The Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses even to the ends of the earth. And so these people, they hear all the commotion. They come running. They're amazed to hear uh, people speaking in their own native language from where they were born. Uh, you know, some have said that this was almost like a reversal of the Tower of Babel back in Genesis chapter 11 when God confused their languages so they couldn't understand one another. This is a reversal of that. Uh, where now they're able to understand in their own language and to hear. And verse 11 says that what they were hearing were these disciples just making outbursts of praise, uh, just talking about the wonderful works of God. Now they weren't preaching yet. Peter was going to start preaching in verse 14 and explain all of this to them. Right now, the disciples were just so excited. The Spirit filled them and they were just exclaiming and praising God uh, with outbursts, the mighty works that God had done. Verse 13 tells us a little bit about the reactions that some uh, in the crowd kind of wrote them off and, uh, and just said, well, you know, they must all be drunk. And that's why they're talking like this. It wasn't a great theory because typically when someone is, is drunk, they're not able to speak clearly even in the language that they do know, much less in languages that they don't know. But this was the best explanation they could come up with. But others in the crowd were sincerely amazed. And what they saw begged for an explanation. And we're going to see in a few weeks that Peter gives them one starting in verse 14. He explains to them how all of this happened because of Jesus. Because Jesus came and died and was resurrected that now the Spirit of God had come just like God had promised back in the book of Joel. And he explains to them how they could be saved just as we can be saved today by putting our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for us at the cross. Well, that's the story of Pentecost, the story of the birthday of the church. That's what happened then. But the second question we need to ask is this, what does this mean for us now? Well, what does the story of the coming of the Spirit mean for us today? Uh, well, for one thing, the Spirit didn't just come on those 120 disciples who lived 2,000 years ago. Now, the Bible teaches us that the Spirit has come to us who have believed in Jesus Christ. Now, I've heard it described like this. Imagine that uh, the mayor of a city uh, decides that he's going to put in a water system uh, that will uh, pump water to his entire city. And so the water is flowing in pipes underneath uh, the city and uh, the water is drawn from a lake or a water source that never runs dry. And so every time a new house is built in that city, it connects up with that water system and immediately the house has access to that flow of water. That's what happened right here in Acts chapter 2. Now that Jesus has given the Holy Spirit, every time 
a person trust in the Lord Jesus. He now has access to that source of living water. Just like Jesus said in John chapter 7, rivers of living water begin to flow in that person's heart. That means today if you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have already received the gift of the Spirit that the disciples received on this day that we call Pentecost. You know, that's a truth, church, that we should never get over. That's a truth that should always excite us when we think about that gift of the Spirit that God has given to us. You know, I do need to mention that there is a lot of false teaching out there about the Holy Spirit, uh, even about uh, what we've been talking about today, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some people uh, argue, particularly in the Pentecostal and charismatic traditions, that you don't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the same time that you are saved, but rather that the baptism of the Spirit is something that uh, comes afterward at some later date and that you as a Christian need to ask God to be baptized in the Holy Spirit just as the disciples were baptized in the Spirit here. And, uh, and folks who uh, hold that position will even use this passage that we've just studied to argue for that. They'll say, well, you know, look at these folks. Look at these 120 disciples. They were obviously already Christians. They were obviously already saved and they received the Spirit at some point after their salvation. Uh, they, they might point to a couple more places in Acts where it seems like or appears that this might be the pattern, like Acts chapter 8 and chapter 10 and chapter 19. But what these folks fail to recognize is that the day of Pentecost was an unrepeatable uh, one-time event where the Spirit of God was given to the church once and for all by the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, these disciples, uh, these 120 received the Spirit after their salvation, but that was because they lived in this time of transition between the old covenant, the old promise of God and the new covenant. Uh, when we read in Acts 8 about those in Samaria receiving the Spirit, it's, it's very similar. This is another time of transition when the gospel is uh, making its way outside the bounds of Israel and into the region of Samaria for the very first time. Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19 are other cases. I wish we had time to delve into it further. But when you begin to study those stories in greater depth, I think what you find there is that the folks in those two stories really did not have a full grasp of the gospel yet, of what Jesus had done for them yet. And so they received the Spirit really in the same way I believe that we received the Spirit when they understood the gospel and when they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And then what we see in the rest of the Bible after this time of transition is finished is that we receive the Holy Spirit not sometime after we are saved, but at the very day of our salvation. The Holy Spirit is not some second blessing that comes subsequent to salvation that we need to ask God for, but rather the Spirit is given to us by God at the moment that we are saved. In fact, Romans 8 and 9 is so clear about that. It says that uh, really if we don't have the Spirit, Paul says in Romans 8, then we don't have Christ. In other words, everyone who has Christ, everyone who is a Christian also has the Holy Spirit. I think Paul uh, says it so clearly in 1 Corinthians 12 as well. Look at this passage with me. He says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. 
For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So he's writing here to the church at Corinth and he doesn't say some of you have received the Holy Spirit and been baptized in the Spirit and some of you have not. He doesn't say that there are two classes of Christians in your church. There are some who are spirit baptized Christians and some who are not. In fact, Paul says the exact opposite. He says that all of you have been baptized by the Spirit into one body. That no matter who you are, No matter what your background is, if you know Christ as your Savior, then you have been baptized in the Spirit. Now, with that said, there is another concept spoken about in the Word of God that's called the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, there is a difference between the baptism of the Spirit, which happens one time at the moment of our salvation, and the filling of the Holy Spirit, which is something that should be happening repeatedly and continuously in our life. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 18. He says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So Paul is writing to these Christians in Ephesus who who already have the Spirit of God, who have already been baptized by the Spirit into one body, and he's commanding them and commanding us to be filled in the Spirit. In fact, when you look at the uh, Greek uh, grammar there, the, the idea of that verb is to be being filled in the Spirit, to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is something that we should be seeking for every single day. Seek to be filled with the Spirit. But here's the deal about the filling of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit uh, doesn't mean that we're asking God for more of His Spirit. It really isn't about getting more of the Spirit. It's about the Spirit getting more of us. Let me say that again. Filling of the Spirit isn't about getting more of the Spirit. It's about the Spirit of God getting more of us. To be filled with the Spirit to let the Spirit take over and guide us and lead us in our daily life means that we have to empty ourselves of selfishness. It means we have to come before God and confess our sin to Him, receive His forgiveness, and then we're able to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit is able to lead us, as it says in Galatians 5, so that we can walk every day in the Spirit. Christian, isn't that how you want to live your life? Where every day we're not living in a way that we're just doing what we want to do in our own flesh, but instead we're living in accordance with the Spirit. That we're putting our feet where the Holy Spirit wants us to put them. And when that happens, when we're filled with the Spirit, you know what that looks like? Galatians 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit begins to show up more and more in our life. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, self-control. Is there anybody, I wonder, during this time of of, uh, safer at home, this time of quarantine that we've been going through, is there anybody, I wonder, that needs some more love and joy and peace and patience and self-control? I know that I do. And the Bible tells us here how we can have it. We can have it as we surrender to the Lord, as we confess our sin, and as we're filled with the Spirit of God each and every day. 
and Christian. All of that is possible because of the day of Pentecost that we just read about. Because of the gift of the Spirit, the moment that we put our faith in Christ, we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And now we can be filled with the Spirit every day if we would surrender to Him and allow the Spirit to lead us and direct us. You know, I wish that we had more time to talk about some of the other ministries of the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says so much about what the Holy Spirit does for us. Uh, we read in the Bible that the Spirit does all kinds of things for us each and every day. That the Spirit leads us, Spirit guides us, the Spirit points us to Christ and reminds us of the things that Jesus has taught us. The Spirit illuminates, it lights up the scriptures whenever we read them. The Spirit is the one who convicts us of sin when we need convicting. The Spirit's the one who, though, encourages us. He reassures us. The Spirit is the one who gives us unity in the church, unity among God's people. The Spirit also is the one who prays along with us. Every time we get down on our knees and we pray to God, He translates our prayers to the ears of the Father and so much more. And so church family, we need to take time even today and thank God again for the gift of his Holy Spirit. What an indescribable gift he is. But just like on the day of Pentecost, one of the things that the Spirit does, one of the reasons why God gave us his Holy Spirit is so that we could do the very same thing that those 120 believers did on the birthday of the church. God has given us his Spirit so that the nations and our neighbors can hear the wonderful works of God today. That we read in our story that after they received the Spirit, they went out into the streets and in all of those different languages, they began to, to shout out the wonderful works of God. Church, that's what the Lord wants us to be doing today. May that be what our family hears and what our friends hear, especially our friends that don't know the Lord. May that be what they hear. When they hear us speak, may they hear us speak the wonderful works of God. When they hear us speak as followers of Jesus, may they not hear us uh, complaining. May, may they not hear words of despair coming from our lips. May they not hear words of grumbling and words of negativity. Certainly, may they not hear bad language and off-colored humor. May, may they not hear trivial, meaningless banter. But when they listen to us, when they hear what comes from our lips, may they hear us speaking about the wonderful works of our God, particularly the works of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who died for us, and who rose again. May they hear all of that from our lips, church, because again, God has no other plan than the church for the world to hear the good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done than speaking through us, the people of God who have been filled with his Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you today for this gift that we have read about, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that at the moment your grace got a hold of our lives, the moment we confessed our sin to you, received you as our Savior, Father, that you redeemed us, that you made us new, that you filled us with the Holy Spirit. Father, that's not something we deserve. That is your sheer and utter 
grace that we can have the very Spirit of God living inside of us. Father, may we not take that for granted. God, would you be with us? Would you be with your church in this corner of your kingdom here in Melbourne, Florida? Father, would you help us every day to be filled with the Spirit? Father, to walk and keep step with the Spirit, to speak what the Spirit would lead us to speak. Father, may the fruit of your Holy Spirit show up in our life in increasing measure. We need more of your love, more of your joy. Father, in these days especially, we need more of your peace and your patience. We need your kindness. We need your gentleness, your goodness, your faithfulness, your self-control. Father, may these things be evident in our life because of the Spirit's presence. And then God, would you use us and open our mouths that we might be a witness to your wonderful works because we're surrounded by a world that is lost, that desperately needs to hear how good you are. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. First Baptist Melbourne Podcast. Making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God.